Well, welcome again to this session with Grace Point Church of Ephrata. I want to welcome our church family as well as any guests who are with us today. You know, we're just a few short days uh, from Christmas Day. And as we think about that and t anticipate that, we're continuing on with uh, an Advent series out of the songs, out of the birth narratives in the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke. I was thinking about uh, the gifts of Christmas and thinking about, as a child, the anticipation of Christmas morning. And uh, I remember uh, personally that there was a heart hunger leading up to uh, Christmas morning when I was anticipating receiving a gift or some gifts. It was joyful and I knew it was going to happen. I was anticipating it. I was waiting for it. And then on Christmas morning, uh, wonder and astonishment as I listened uh, to my parents read the uh, <clears throat> birth accounts here in Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2, and marveled uh, even as a young person at uh, the birth of this babe in the manger. And uh, of all of history, it was uh, impressed upon me that this was really the important part of Christmas Day, so special uh, that it would define all of our lives uh, forever in that sense. And even though I did not believe in Jesus for everlasting life until I was uh, somewhat older, 28 to be precise, uh, I was 28 years old, I was impressed uh, by the message of Christmas and God's gift to the world. And I was thinking about that and there was a heart hunger, and I wondered, you know, all of us have some soul hunger or heart hunger in our lives. And I was wondering what your heart hunger is today. What is the defining longing of your life? If you could pinpoint the one thing that you really hunger for, that you're looking forward to, for, to, uh, to and, and that you're anticipating. What is that heart hunger? Uh, I think the key is found here in this last hymn we're going to look at, this last song of Christmas in Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 38. Uh, we're going to see a man named Simeon. Uh, Simeon was advanced in age and anticipating and waiting for, had a heart hunger to be in touch with the heart of God. And he knew the promises made to Israel through the covenants and through uh, the prophets, and so he was anticipating and waiting and praying that it happened in his lifetime. And so what does your heart hunger for today? We've looked at four, three songs, and this will be the fourth one out of Luke's chapters 1 and 2, the birth narratives of John and Jesus. We looked at Zacharias's song, the father of uh, John, later to be known as John the Baptizer or John the Immerser. Uh, it was found in Luke chapter 1. And then the angel song uh, to the shepherds. We think of the shepherds uh, who were a low-class people in Luke chapter 2. The angels appeared to them, and they went into Bethlehem and saw this babe in the manger and worshipped and told everybody what they had heard and seen. And then last session, we looked at Mary's song, uh, the mother of Jesus, called the Magnificat, which is found in Luke 1, 48 through 55. And today we're looking at Simeon's song, which is found here in Luke chapter 2, verses 29 and 32. Uh, so if you take your copy of God's Word, find Luke chapter 2, and we will look at this very short song. Remember, uh, these are very similar to the Psalms in the Old Testament. In fact, uh, these are Old Testament extensions of uh, the poetic devices used in Psalms. Remember, Psalms is Hebrew poetry. 
And uh, these songs, as we look at them, are technically in the same classification as a psalm. And they were, psalms could be sung and probably were sung uh, with vocal uh, expressions. And so these are songs, and this one of Simeon, as we look at it, we're going to learn some things about anticipating and filling that heart hunger that all of us probably have or have had uh, in with the right things and that we are in touch with the very heart of God. If you take your copy of Scripture, as you do so, I'm going to pray today. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this day. Thank you for the upcoming Christmas holiday. And Lord, even through the festivities and through uh, the busyness of the season, may we uh, get a glimpse of your grace and your mercy, that we'd have eyes to see your blessings. And as we recall the first advent of the Lord Jesus Christ, we would anticipate the second advent that is promised in Scripture. And Lord, thank you for the fact that you never leave us or forsake us. Thank you that your Holy Spirit guides us and leads us. I thank you for each one who is viewing this session and listening. Pray that you would teach us all, that uh, we would all be impressed and impacted because of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. And I pray today, Lord, that if there are those watching who have questions about their relationship with God, with the relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ, that, Lord, you would work in their hearts and lives and that they would know that they can have everlasting life through this babe in the manger, the Lord Jesus Christ, and as we believe in him for everlasting life. Thank you for this Christmas season. Even though it's a difficult one, we face adversity. We pray for our country and we pray, Lord, for uh, just uh, a vaccine that will uh, just mitigate this pandemic. And we thank you, Lord, that you know all of these things and you're working all things out for your glory and for the good of your people. Amen and amen. As we go to this uh, song, we start in uh, verse 21. Jesus, of course, has been born. The, the, uh, the shepherds have come to see him. Uh, there's been these other songs sang. And then in verse 21... He's presented at the temple. This was in accordance with the law of Israel, uh, God's law to Israel. And when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And uh, this is Joseph and Mary taking this eight-day-year-old baby to the temple for presentation. It goes on to say, and when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. In other words, set apart unto God. Verse 24, and to offer a sacrifice, sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, uh, which points to their poverty, really. These were provisions made in the law uh, that you didn't have to buy a lamb or a, a, a calf, you could present turtle doves or pigeons as a sacrifice. And so we see that there is, in verses 25 through 27, uh, there's an anticipation of God's plan and God's promises. There's a heart hunger, an attitude, and an atmosphere of expectancy around this event. And uh, this man, Simeon, we're introduced to here in verse 25. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man, we have a description of him here. He was righteous and devout. 
looking for the consolation of Israel. That's a way of saying the Messiah, the one, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecy, the anticipation that there would be a Savior, a Messiah, that would come and rescue his people and rescue Israel from her plight. And uh, so he is waiting for this consolation of Israel. And it tells us that the Holy Spirit was upon him. Verse 26, not only was the Holy Spirit upon him, last session, I reminded us that uh, in the Old Testament, uh, believers in God were not indwelt by the Holy Spirit as believers are today, Christians are today. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That is a mark of Christianity. Uh, but in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon people for a time, for a certain uh, uh, power, for certain uh, activity, and it doesn't mean he indwelt them, but he did come upon him. So we see that the Holy Spirit was upon him. His presence were there. Verse 26 then, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ or the Lord's Messiah. The Holy Spirit was upon him, his presence. Also, the Holy Spirit revealed to him the promise. And so presence and promise, the Holy Spirit is active in Simeon's life. And then in verse 27, we see that he moved Simeon to action. There was a prompting. Look at verse 27. And he came to in the Spirit. There's the Spirit again. Each verse has the Holy Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law. So the presence of the Spirit, the promise of the Spirit, and the prompting of the Spirit. And Simeon was anxiously awaiting, he was anticipating God's plan, God's promises. He had a heart hunger, and he wished, it, hoped in his lifetime that he would see this consolation of Israel, this Lord's Messiah. I was thinking about uh, kind of a blindness that we all have to our day-to-day -day activities sometimes. Uh, back in 1995, uh, my wife and I made our first journey to Indonesia, to missionary friends to visit with them for a number of weeks. And uh, they had an adoptive daughter then who was probably about five years old, Mona, uh, has since grown to a beautiful young lady, has children of her own, is married. Uh, but we were walking with little Mona who grew up in the jungles of Borneo. And we were walking with her and uh, she would point out wonderful, wonderful things that we were missing you know, flowers and different vegetation and, and just the way the rocks were and the trees were. And so there was uh, an opening of our eyes and we started to anticipate the next thing we were going to learn, the next thing we were going to see. And that's how Simeon was. He was observant. He was waiting. He wasn't just living in the moment of the day. He was anticipating God's plan, God's promises. We see many times in Scripture uh, that there are promises and anticipating things. Psalm 68, 19, praise the Lord, praise God our Savior, for each day he carries us in his arms. Have you ever thought of that? Each day of your life, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, it says he carries us in his arms. And of course, arms are a symbol, a metaphor for power and strength. He is all powerful. He knows about your life. He knows exactly what is going on. Matthew 24, 36, but of that day and that hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Speaking of his sovereignty, of the fact that God knows all things, God the Father is carrying out his plan. Acts 1.7, it is not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. 
And we can rest in that, even though we live in great uh, uncertain times, even though there are difficulties this year in 2020, even though all of this stuff in our circumstances is going on. People have lost loved ones. People have lost their jobs. All sorts of things have occurred. We all feel uh, like we're being restricted. And so God knows all of this. Matthew 24, 44. For this reason, you be ready too, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. And speaking of that time, that coming of the Savior in the second advent, Second Peter 3.11, since all these things are to be destroyed on this, in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? What a challenge to us. When we look around at our world, and even our own circumstances, our own environment, our own context, we recognize that these are temporal. These are temporary. The only secure eternal thing we have is sin, salvation in Jesus Christ. Salvation in Jesus Christ. You know, uh, we hate to wait. And 2020 has been a year of waiting, trying to figure out how we can reclaim life as, we li used, as it used to be for us. Uh, you know, it's much different this Christmas than it was last Christmas, for sure, as you think back on that. You may be isolated, you may be home, and not, uh, loved ones unable to gather with you. A number of different difficulties we face, and it's difficult for us to wait. We're waiting for a vaccine, perhaps. We're waiting for uh, relief from whatever the circumstances that you're in right now. But waiting is difficult, isn't it? And for most of us, we think waiting is kind of a waste of time. It's like we think of it as inactivity. You know, Simeon here, and later on in this chapter, Anna, another elderly person who was serving the Lord in the temple, uh, they were impatient. They were not impatient. They were anticipating seeing the Messiah foretold by the, the prophets for hundreds of years. Remember, 700 years before, Isaiah had prophesied about this coming Messiah. Meanwhile, day after day, year after year, they waited and waited. How about you? Would you wait? I, I probably wouldn't. I tend to be a little impatient. I'd probably move on to other things. And probably most of you would also. Yet our impatience and lack of faith, would we have missed God's miracle? If we lived in this day and age, we say, ah, God hasn't talked to us for 400 years. I'm tired of waiting. I'm going on to do other things. Uh, would it help to understand what is meant by the word wait? When you think about the word wait, my tendency is to think of waiting as, as inactivity, as idle time doing nothing, killing time, we say, waiting for something to start. But actually, waiting is more like receiving the word that an honored guest is coming to your home and will soon be visiting you. And so what do you do? You busily get, you get busy and you, you clean the house, you get everything decorated, you prepare special foods, uh, you get cleaned up, you get special clothes on in the closet, and you wait for, you know, waiting for God is eventually, essentially, an eventful time in preparation anticipation. Psalm 40 verse 1 says, the psalmist writes, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. Waiting is learning to trust in God's leadership and his competence. You know, I think what this pandemic, what this crisis has done for us is, as is one writer said, crisis reveals character. And what I've seen, and perhaps in my own life also, a bit of impatience, a lack of waiting on God, a lack of trusting him for the bigger picture. 
And then in Isaiah 40, 31, but those who wait on the Lord will find new strength. They will fly high on wings like eagles. eagles. They will run and not grow weary. Wow. You know, we are pretty weary of this pandemic, of the situation. But waiting renews your strength when we wait on Christ. And then in Hebrews 9.28, this time he, Christ, will bring salvation to all those, what? Who are eagerly waiting for him. Waiting is a sign of faith, and faith in Christ is a source of our salvation when we believe in him for everlasting life and for this life, believing for this life also. Uh, Simeon waited. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit worked in his life. He expected an honored guest to come, the Messiah to appear at any time. Anna, later on we see this older woman, Anna, staying busy in the temple day and night, it tells us, worshiping God with fasting and prayer, waiting on God. And so we see there's anticipating God's plan and his promises. And then secondly, in verses 28 through 32, which is really the content of the song, of the, of the poetic song that Simeon sings, or at least says, overflowing with praise and prayer. There's a heart hunger, there's an attitude of dependency in this psalm. Uh, you know, I'm fascinated by pigeons. Uh, when you go to a city, there's always pigeons on the sidewalk, it seems like. I remember being in Chicago, downtown Chicago, another number of times, and the pigeons would be walking all over, and They'd get out of your way, and they'd walk here and there. But I noticed that their head does this. Now watch. it goes Every step, their head goes back. And, and we think, you probably think that's pretty silly, but I studied that. And why do pigeons walk that way, their head going back and forth? But according to an article I read, uh, a pigeon walks this way so that it can see where it's going because it can't adjust its focus as it moves. The pigeon actually has to bring its head to a complete stop between steps in order to refocus. That is why it walks the way it does. Head forward, stop. Head back, stop. Uh, that's how it goes, according to that. You know, our spiritual walk with the Lord, we have the same problem that pigeons do. If we're moving, we have a hard time focusing on what God is doing. We have a hard time seeing while we're moving. We also need to stop between the steps to refocus where we're at in relationship to the world and in relationship to the will of God. That's not <clears throat> to say that we have to stop and pray and meditate every step we take about every little decision in life, but certainly our walk with the Lord needs to have built into it a pattern of stops which enables us to more clearly see before moving on. And I think 2020 has really given us an opportunity to have those moments where we stop and reflect and refocus on what is really important in life. As I said, I believe 2020, God has caused this to, to purify his people, to strengthen his people, and to correct our focus on life and on him. And that is what is happening here. Well, this hymn, this is the fourth and the final of the Christmas songs we're looking at. Remember, we looked at <clears throat> Mary's song, the Magnificat, last time. The angels to the shepherds of uh, the time before the session. The first session was Zacharias' song in chapter 1. But this is really a worship hymn, a worship hymn. Look at verse 28. And it says, he took Jesus into his arms 
and blessed God and said, he blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and a glory of your people Israel. So it's a worship hymn. He blessed God, attributed it all to God. And he was recognizing this was special and that God had allowed him to see this child, this Messiah. It's a hymn of salvation, not only of worship, but of salvation. Now he is ready to depart, ready to die. He said, this has been my focus for my life. And now I've seen it. Now I can die. Now that I can leave this earth and go to my eternal abode. The word depart here has several meanings uh, in, in the Greek language, which was, this was originally written in Greek. Uh, it, each of them tells us something about the death of a believer in Jesus Christ. It means to release a prisoner. When we think of physical death, it's a release from this life. To untie a ship and set sail. To take down a tent and to unyoke a beast of burden. God's people should not be afraid of physical death because it frees us from the burdens of this life and leads us to the blessings of the next life. That is the promise. And of course, Jesus Christ is our forerunner. He went before us. He is the first one who was resurrected from the dead and has he ever, he's everlasting. So a worship hymn, a salvation hymn, and finally a missionary hymn. A light to the Gentiles, look at verse 32. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and a glory to the people of Israel. It's not only Israel-centric, but it's talking about the whole world that Jesus Christ came. And so there is an anticipation. There's an anticipation of God's plan, God's promises. There's an overflowing of prayer and praise in these verses. And then in verse 33, filled with wonder and gratitude, the heart, heart hunger for an answer of exaltation. Look at verse 33. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. His father and mother, Joseph and Mary, were amazed about the things that were being said about him, filled with wonder and gratitude. And verse 32, we see again that is proclaiming the beauty of Christ. There's an act of proclamation here the light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory to the people of Israel. And then verse 38 of this passage, at that very moment she came up, and this is Anna, came up and began giving thanks to God and continuing to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. So both of them, what they had seen and heard, they proclaimed to others, proclaiming the beauty of Christ. I don't know if you've ever noticed on a picnic or maybe when you're out camping, uh, those pesky little insects, ants will come, if, especially if the food is out and they will come along. And I've noticed that uh, when one ant discovers the food, what it does is it takes a bite and then turns around and, and, and takes off and goes finds all his buddies so that everybody can come and share in the wonderful food that he's found. And uh, a whole train of ants would follow him along. You know, as believers in Jesus Christ, we have taste, tasted the fact that God is good. He is sovereign. He is our Savior. We have a future and a hope. And we can learn from the ant. We can learn the lesson. Having found God's rich supply of grace, we can spread the glad tidings to others. 
Psalm 35, 9 says, And my soul shall rejoice in the Lord, and it shall exult in his salvation. That is what we do. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ's first advent brings expectancy, dependency, exaltation, and proclamation uh, from our lives because he is the Savior. And so this Christmas season, as we in a few days will celebrate uh, the Christmas day to get w with our loved ones, perhaps, or maybe in isolation, we don't know yet, but uh, we will look forward to that. You know, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for worm is tolaoth, tolaoth. This little worm from the Middle East is uh, something like the cochineal of Mexico. You may be familiar with that worm. When these creatures are crushed, their bodily fluids make a brilliant crimson dye used in the bright Mexican garments and in Palestine, Syria, and the Middle East. The Toloth simply, similarly makes a beautiful permanent scarlet dye. It's very expensive and it's worn by the rich and the noble. In a sense, the word scarlet means splendor of the worm. Uh, Saul is said to have clothed the maidens of Israel in scarlet back in 2 Samuel. Belshazzar promised Daniel, <clears throat> excuse me, scarlet clothing as a reward. The scarlet producing worm is even used in a, text, in a text prophetic of the Messiah. I am a worm, toloath is the Hebrew word, and no man, Psalm 22, 6. The glorious garments of our salvation have been procured as a result of Christ's death and suffering. He became the tolaoth, the crushed in death, so that we may be robed in glory. And that is the purpose of this babe in the manger that we celebrate. The purpose of Jesus Christ coming to bring honor and glory unto God the Father and to do his will and to die for your sins and my sins and, and for the sins of the world. And we can believe in him. We can recognize and have the assurance and the security of everlasting life when we believe in Jesus for everlasting life, it tells us we will not perish, but we will have everlasting life. So the, 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 the consequence is everlasting life. The condition is belief in Jesus. I've said it so many times. In the New Testament, there are at least 100 references to the condition for everlasting life, and that is belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is belief or being fully persuaded that he is who he says he is and that he will accomplish what he says he will accomplish, which is everlasting life for those who believe in him. Well, as Christmas approaches, and this is our final session before the Christmas holiday, I pray and I uh, extend to you blessings and pray that you have a great holiday as you uh, reflect on Jesus Christ, as you perhaps read through again the, the birth narratives in Luke chapter 1 and 2 and uh, really reflect on those things in this day. I want to send you out with a benediction into your day, into your week, and into the holiday. In Jude, the little letter of Jude, there's no chapters, there's just one chapter at the end of it in verse 24. Here's what it says. Let me send you out with this. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen and amen. Go in God's grace.